right, well, I do know that it's a little warm in here, but there is a lot of people in here, and the doors were open and closed a lot, so it's trying to keep up, but we're doing the best we can. We'll see how the air conditioner does. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing the Sermon of the Mount from last week. The last week we went through the Beatitudes. We showed how they were just not possible in and of ourselves to accomplish, and the answer was in the person that was giving the message, Jesus himself. Now, this portion of the Sermon of the Mount is called the Similitudes, and it's going to be compared to when Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and we're going to see that we cannot live up to that standard. And that standard we see is even farther apart than we think from us to the reality. It is the measure of perfection, because the way that we might interpret the Ten Commandments or the laws of God versus the way that the Lord interprets them are completely different. And we're going to see that it's only through Jesus that we can live these things out. And hopefully, by the time we leave here today, we are going to get rid of our religious standards, and we're going to have godly standards. And we're going to be able to live deeper, more enriched, with more joy, and in a closer relationship with God than ever before. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to start in verses 12 through 16. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, your unmerited favor. We thank you for who you are, the work that you're doing in each and every one of us, the work you're continuing to do and are faithful to complete. We pray that we would grow in you this morning, that you would come against us in our falsehoods, Lord, reveal to us our faults, and then reconcile us to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verses 12 through 16. We're, we're closing out the Beatitudes in verse 12 and then moving in to this new section. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it is then, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, by way of introduction, we're going to spend a little bit of time here in the beginning of this chapter. We're going to go pretty quickly through the middle, and then at the end, we're going to spend a little bit more time. But here he says that we, his listeners, his disciples, remember he's speaking to his disciples, are to be the salt and the light of the world. Now, what does that mean, and how does that apply? You may have heard the saying, he's worth his salt, or she's worth her salt. And in the low country, if you're outside, or you're doing sports, or you're working, you know that you're going to sweat a lot here. It is so stinking hot. I mean, you're, some of you are thinking... I sweat on the way from the parking lot to the grocery store. And when you sweat a lot, they talk about how you can't just drink water. You have to have what? Electrolytes. If you have a person in your life that's nagging you doing that all the time, the electrolytes are salt. It helps you retain that water. It's, inv it's vital for your health. Now, because of our 21st century diets, we don't have to worry about salt because they throw that stuff in everything. But back in the day, historically, salt is very expensive and hard to get. It's rare. It's precious. It's valuable. So we know it's essential to life. We know it's valuable. It's also used in preservation. They would have 
meat and no refrigeration, so they would pack it in salt. That would preserve it from spoiling. And salt's a preservative. It's also an antiseptic. I don't recommend you use it as an antiseptic because it hurts. But if you have a wound and nothing else, you could put salt in there, and it would keep bacteria from growing. What else does he say that we're to be? We're to be the light of the world. Now, light is essential for life. If you take a plant and you put it in a closet where there's no light, it will wither and die. It doesn't matter how much fertilizer or water you give it. It needs to have that photosynthesis. It needs to take the sun's energy to help it grow. It, too, is used as an antiseptic. Now, side note, the AC guy who comes to your house and he wants to sell you the UV light, the UV light bulb. What is that? Well, it's supposed to be like the, the sun, and it kills the stuff on there. Now, side note, it doesn't work. That's a different discussion. I'll tell you that on the side. <laughs> and then what else is light? Light is revealing. It reveals things. I made the joke last week, so I'm going to make it again this week. You go into my teenager's room, and I turn on the light. It reveals a lot of garbage and messiness and things I'd rather not see. And here, the Lord's continuing from the Beatitudes, and he says, we are to be the salt and the light of the world. But what else does he say? He says in verse 16, the reason we're to do that is that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Wait a minute. What good works is he talking about? I'm looking around at you. You're looking around at me. What is he talking about? Remember, last week when we were going through the Beatitudes, we quoted that scripture that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're to abide in him and him in us. But else, what else did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he tells us that we can do nothing without him, but then he says we're to go and show the world salt and light by good works. But the Bible tells us in us dwells no good thing. In fact, the rest of the section of this chapter, he's going to show us how bad we really are. So how in the world are we to go into the world and be the salt and the light? In fact, many Christians today, you'll hear them quote what they think is St. Francis of Assisi, Assisi, not he's a sissy, Assisi. <laughs> that quote isn't actually from him. There's no evidence that he said it. But he said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You ever heard anyone say that? What they're trying to say is they're so special of a person that they're going to go out into the workplace, into the world, and in their family, and people are going to flock to God. How's that going for you? It doesn't work. See, it, it's poetic, but it's not biblical. Now, what are you telling us, Mike, that we're not supposed to be different? No, I'm just telling you that you're not going to be different enough. Because the Bible tells you that your heart is deceitfully wicked, just like mine. Jesus tells us, apart from him, we can do nothing. So why is the Lord continuing to tell us to do things we can't do and to set a standard that's impossible to keep? That's the whole point. Just like in the Beatitudes, as he continues the Sermon of the Mount, the answer is in the person who is sharing the truth. We cannot live a life that says, be good or else. Jesus is going to show us what God's heavenly standard is. And His heavenly standard is perfect. And then we're going to match it to our present reality in a sin-cursed world. And then we're going to see how through Jesus Christ we can be the salt and the light 
of the world. Now, if you've caught yourself as being that person that says, well, I'm just going to go into the world and preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words, what you're really saying is, I'm going to go out there and try and be a good person, and I'm never going to share the gospel. I'm going to keep that to myself. Well, Romans 10:14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who have they not? Have they... We'll try that in English, shall we? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We, we are just not that good of a message. I'm looking at you, and you're a bunch of dirtbags. And so am I. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. But we know that through Christ, he's going to move and change and work in us because he is the light. He reveals the darkness. The Bible tells us in the book of John that he is the light of the world. And he came into the world. And man loved darkness rather than light. So how are these people going to go into the world and be the light when they don't even like it? It's going to be the Lord. He's going to work in us and change us and mold us and work through us because apart from him we can do nothing. And that's how we're going to be able to do what it says in Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Seasoned with salt. You know, the last thing that we forgot to mention, which is almost, almost as important as the other, is salt adds flavor. I cannot have tortilla chips without bringing that salt shaker out. And then somebody brought to me one day, hey, you like watermelon? Put some salt on it. Put some salt in it. You're crazy. Oh, just trust me. All right, I'll put a little salt. Whoa, that tastes good. What happened? But as Christians, are we adding flavor to the world? Is there flavor in your life? Are we growing deeper in our relationship with God? What is motivating us if we know we can't keep the standard, if we can't meet God's perfection? How is it that we're going to continue to go and be Christians and be changed in this world? It's through love. Our love for Christ. Remember, He first loved us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And when we realize that in us dwells no good thing, and we're able to take God's heavenly standard, and we're able to look at the realities of life, and we see that He is bringing them together through Himself, we are able to reconcile ourselves to God, our Creator. And that love is going to motivate us. It's going to motivate us into motion, into growth, into sacrifice. And that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 13 when he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love." I have become a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So knowing that Jesus, as he's giving us this standard, is the answer, that he loves humanity, he wants to restore humanity, so that we can live reconciled life to God and then enter into eternity with Him. Knowing these things, I want us to look at the rest of this section of Scripture for what it is. Not a letter of condemnation, 
but a love letter from our God to his people. Because we're going to see that he is not giving us a list of impossible chores, impossible laws. He's revealing himself to us because he is God with us. And then he's going to give us a way out, which is through him. So with that, let's read verses 17 through 20 as he's going to get started here. Do you do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you've already started in your mind. You've gone them, they, those people. No, 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 no. You're thinking of someone that is consistently over and over teaching false doctrine against God's will. No, no, that's not what he says here. If you have ever taught something incorrectly and misrepresented God, you are guilty of hellfire and damnation. I am guilty. First sentence, and I'm already condemned to hell. That's why it's so important that we look at this as a love letter. This is impossible. These standards are impossible for man. And it's not because they're wrong. They are true and perfect. It's because we are wrong. We are broken. He's going to reveal this over and over again. If you've ever taught anything out of context and incorrectly, you're toast. You're done. He says that your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. The scribes memorized whole books of the Bible. The Pharisees, we know God will tell them, Jesus will tell them to their face, you tithe of your mint and your cumin. That's the same as if we go to our spice rack, we pull out the black pepper out of the bottle, we pour it on the table, and we count every single speck, and then we tithe 10% of that. That's how particular they are in keeping the law. He said it has to exceed that, your righteousness. Not possible. And, and the Lord Jesus, he doesn't condemn them. He said, in that you do well, but you don't keep the meteor portions of the word. And so already we're seeing, we're toast, guys. Let's, let's go to the next section, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Look at you, all you murderers. You have all looked at somebody with anger. But that's the thing. When you talk to especially a non-believer about their relationship with God, and they'll be like, well, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. You know, I've never murdered anyone. Well, by God's standards, you're doing it on a daily basis. You're all mass murderers, every one of you. 
But, but it gets even deeper than this. It says, agree with your adversary quickly. Again, you're doing that thing where you set your own standard. You're thinking, man, that's a good idea. You know, if you have two equal people, two good people that have slighted each other, I'm going to come to a reconciliation with them. Here's the problem. This is heaven's perfection. And do we live in heaven's perfection here? No, we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. And there are evil people that will burn your house down and murder you for $100. They will rip you off. Are you to agree with them? It says to agree with your adversary quickly. You inserted in your mind what kind of adversary it was. That's not heaven's standard. They asked Gandhi, because people like to look to Eastern mysticism. They asked him, could you have defeated Hitler with nonviolence? And he said, yes. But he said, at great cost. Oh, that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? That sounds poetic. Here's the problem. We live in a real world where evil people do evil things. There's no way. He, Hitler would have just murdered every single person. Oh, you want to lay down? Sure, just go ahead and take a trip on my train. We'll take care of you. He would not stop. So how can we take heaven's perfection and then reconcile it to an evil world or our, even our evil selves? And many people in their walk with Christ, their walk with God, they're trying to make up these standards. You'll remember when we were going through the Beatitudes, I said many Bible scholars say that this is so impossible, it's for the millennial kingdom, it's not even for today. And then there's other Christians that say, no, we should all be living like this every single day. But we talked about how Jesus is the answer who is showing us the measure. He's showing us the standard. He is the light that illuminates the world and shows us how broken we really are. Because let's now go to verses 27 through 31. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if you, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce." Let's read verse 32 also. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And so many of you here could say, well, I've never committed adultery. And then Jesus comes and says, yes, if you've even looked at a man or a woman, then you've committed adultery all the way. And then we're sitting here just pathetic, just broken, how bad we are. But again, that doesn't mean that the Lord's standard is wrong, that it somehow needs to conform to us. Absolutely not. The problem that we commit adultery is because we're selfish, we're egotistical, we have passions, we want things for ourselves. We rip off our spouses for our own benefit, even if it's in your own mind, because you are a sin cursed and broken person. I mean, if we didn't have those, those, those uh, desires, excuse me, then it wouldn't be a problem. You wouldn't yearn for it. You wouldn't try to get it. Many of you are divorced here. 
In the United States of America, the majority of people are, are, have at least one divorce. Now, I think it's like 51, 52 percent. It's a very slight majority. You're, you're wrong, and you're guilty. So, so far, we're all heretics, murderers, adulterers. I mean, the, it's going bad for all of us, isn't it? Why, why does he even care about us? Let, let's keep going, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So about oaths. He is saying not if you make a promise, keep it. He is saying if you ever say you're going to do anything ever, you keep your word. I'm going to show up to work tomorrow at 7 o'clock. You show up tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Oh, I got stuck in traffic. No, you, you said you were going to be there. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, I'm an honorable person. I'm an honest person. Not according to Scripture, you're not. Now, let's take a break now, because if you're feeling the level of guilt and shame that I am as we read this, it's getting kind of dark. Let's flip this around for a second. Think of the person who is sharing these words. Jesus is without sin. If you grew up with Jesus, he never broke a promise. He never broke his word. If he said he was coming to your help, he was going to be there. If he said he was going to be on the job, he was there. If he said he was going to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he made it. Kind of difficult because it's the first century. Don't know how he got that done. But anything that he said growing up, he did it. He never had an adulterous thought. He never got angry at anyone incorrectly. What would it be like? And yet, he was so similar to us that people weren't walking around like, man, that's Jesus, the special one. What was it like to grow up with him? He who was perfect, his relationships were perfect, his communication, perfect. He never said a false thing about God ever. Perfect. And then we see this comparison between the heavenly and the earthly again, and we see how broken we really are. And that's why it was so important for us to know that this is a love letter, not a letter of condemnation, because we are condemned. Guilt and shame and remorse, but to be with Him. The Bible says that the Word of God reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and Jesus is the Word, and that's what He's doing. He reveals those things about ourselves that we don't want to deal with. He, he shows us who we are in God's eyes, and then through a relationship with Him, we are reconciled to God, and we begin to grow. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But before we do, let's get this next portion of text, verses 38 through 42. And we're going to spend some time there. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. We're going to come back to that. Well, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, 
And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Hmm. Now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty. You thought we were touching some sensitive things before. Jesus is telling you to turn the other cheek. He says what? Do not resist an evil person. Can you do that? No. No. Not only can I not do that, I'm not willing to do that because I love the people that are in my life. If someone, if an evil person wants to come to my house and have their way with my wife, I'm not going to not resist an evil person. I'm going to fight to the death to protect the people that I love. So how in the world can he give us this impossible standard? It's the measurement of godliness. It shows us how fallen this world is compared to him. And it's that friction between the heavenly standard and the reality of life that we struggle with because we are looking for the answer within ourselves and our surroundings when it's found in God himself. It's found in Jesus himself. He is perfect, and He didn't come to condemn us. We did that thing earlier. You read this, and you're like, yes, you know, if it's a regular person just like me on the other side, we can negotiate this. The Lord makes, when, the, when a man's ways please the Lord, and makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But what about evil people? Are we to not resist Joseph Stalin, mousy tongue? You know, put, fill in the blank. No, we're going to stand on our biblical principles and protect those that we love. And that's where this comes back to love. God so loved the world. And then we love God before he first, because he first loved us. And he knows our failures and our faults, our intentions, our brokenness. He knows our desires, our strengths. He knows everything about us. And he says, I want you. I love you. I gave myself for you. And because he first loved us, we love him back. And we're motivated by this love, knowing we cannot keep his standards, and we live by grace. That's what I want to focus on now. Let's read verses 43 through 48. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? And do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so the question is, knowing that's the standard, how are you going to be perfect? And be salt and light in the world by your good works. You can't. You can't. And that's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, many people, most Christians, I would even dare say, are living with a Christian facade. What is a facade? A facade is when you have a nice, simple building, maybe single story, and, but in the front, they build a giant wall, and they paint it to look like there's three stories and a big high-rise roof line. And it's a facade. It's fake. It's to make it look prettier than it actually is. And many Christians are living their life trying to look better than they actually are. And then when you go into the world, oh, it's those people, them. Are we the salt and the light of the world that enhances flavor, that reveals darkness, that is helping people to enrich their lives and live deeper? 
or are we just giant hatchets? Religious people. Because Jesus tells us that we're to live life more abundantly with joy and peace that surpasses all understanding as He fills us with His Spirit. Because the only way that we can be the light to the world is if the light Himself, Christ, is radiating from us. And we do that because of our love for Him. If you love someone, you want a real relationship with them. You don't want to be fake. You don't want fake standards. You'll deal with the pain and the hurt and the suffering, the joy and the vibrant feelings. And that's what we have with our Creator, with God through Jesus, because He came to us. And then when you have the love of God, you can begin to love other people. And when you begin to love your enemy, you have compassion on them. Now that love will also motivate me to defend my family. It'll also allow me to turn the cheek on occasion as we balance out the love of God working inside of us. Remember, that's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. I don't care if you have all knowledge, all wisdom, all the spirit, all the spiritual gifts. You have everything, but you have love, you have nothing. God is love, and it's manifested through Jesus himself. And he's illuminating how bad we really are, but he wants to eliminate all the facades. My question to you is, are you living a deeper life today? Are you taking it for granted? Are you enhancing the flavor of those around you? Are you living with joy? See, Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so we get to this new term called sanctification. See, we're holy, we're righteous by the grace of Jesus, unmerited favor. He knows we can't keep these standards, and so he gives us his perfection, his righteous standard. But as we live our life in our brokenness, in our humility, he sanctifies us and he changes us because love motivates people to change. It motivates people to do things they don't normally do. And as we love God and God's working and shedding his love in us, we begin to love others. And then we begin to change slowly but surely in our lives. And it becomes real, not legalism or laws or hypocrisy or the word we're using, facade. We begin to radiate the love and the light of God into other peoples. And that's what Titus is talking about in chapter 2 when he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace, unmerited, unearned favor. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's how we can be the salt and the light of the earth. Because the Lord fills us with his spirit. Be real with people. We have a real God for real problems, and we need to be real people with a real relationships. Live deeply. Don't take a minute for granted because the Bible says no man is promised tomorrow. 
And everything we do, we should be enhanced because of our relationship with God. We should feel it and sense it and be encouraged by it. No facades. And as people watch your love for God change and watch Him working in you and watching you work through that reality and you begin to talk about Him and share Him in His words, that's when lives are changed. That's when you can go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not because you're religiously handing out papers and trying to invite people to the the party, get them in the seats. We have the light of the world. We have the answer for all of mankind, the, the reason that they exist, purpose for their life, and a future hope for eternity. And what we do religiously then is we go into the world and we start labeling people and calling them enemies. They're transsexual. They're Muslim. They're homosexual. They're Republican. They're Democrat. They're communist. And we start labeling people. Labeling them, labeling them, labeling them. Good guy, bad guy. Good guy, bad guy. Yes, there's evil people. We've already talked about that. But we need to see them the way that Jesus sees them, with his love. They are souls. Every human being is a soul and has the breath of God in them. Their label is irrelevant to God. We are all sinners. We are all broken. All of us are guilty. He came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save. And when we begin to have that mentality, you'll live your life different. And you begin to share the grace of God and the mercy of God with the world. And then you let him do the work because apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would live deeper. No one can spend time with you and hear your words and be in your presence and not be changed in one way or the other, Lord. I pray that your people here today would be filled with your spirit, that they would have more of your presence, more of your life and love in them, that they would see the world differently, and that they would see, Lord, your perfect standards versus the present reality. We long for more of you. And most importantly, Lord, we pray for your working in our lives. Don't let us be ignorant or foolhardy. Don't let us to live in that brokenness and shame but just be filled with your grace and your mercy and your love to share it with everyone. We praise you and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, lay hands on you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.